Well, my name is Tyson Ziegler, and I direct our small groups ministry here at Grace. And it is a privilege to be here. When Brad asked if I would be willing to, to bring the message today, I said, absolutely. Because we're excited. We're excited about what God is doing here at Grace Fellowship Church through our small groups ministry. But I want to talk to you a lot more uh, today than just small groups. So I've got a limited amount of time. We're going to get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together uh, here at the end of the service. I've got a limited amount of time to not only share with you why we do personal discipleship the way that we do it, but then the bigger picture. Why would we do this? In the 17th century, some really smart theologians got together and answered a bunch of questions. And one of the questions they answered was, what's the chief end of man? What's the purpose? What's, what's the design? And they answered this question by saying, well, the, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. You know, have you heard that? Okay, I think that's a really good answer. But I'm not sure that it's the complete answer. So I want to I tread lightly here. Those are really smart guys. Uh, but I think, especially in our day and age, there's a sense that it's just me and Jesus. We can get that. I don't know if you've sensed that. Well, I don't need other people. It's just, it's just me and Jesus. That's all I need. So I'd like to amend that answer just slightly to include the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him and his people forever. Because guess what? If you look around this room, you're going to see a lot of people who know Jesus too, and you're going to know them for a really long time. Like forever. Okay? So I hope you like the people you're sitting by. Because by God's grace, we're going to the same place. (laughs) And we're going to know each other, and we're going to love each other. And that's the idea of fellowship. Okay? So when we talk about small groups, we we utilize small groups, but the end goal isn't small groups. Okay, so as the director of small groups, I don't know if this puts my job in jeopardy or not, you weren't made for small groups. There, I said it, okay? You were meant for much more. You were meant for fellowship. Your design goes well beyond this vehicle. In fact, if I take my family on a vacation and we visit some incredible destination hotspots and I come back and I start to relate that story to you about, oh my goodness, this place was amazing. And just as I set it up, All of a sudden, I I shift gears, and I start telling you all about the minivan we rented, the color, the doors, how they were electric. I didn't didn't have to tug on them, the cargo hatch. All I had to do was push a button. It wouldn't take very long, and you start looking at me funny like, what is wrong with this guy? Because you don't want to hear about the minivan. You don't care about the vehicle. You want to hear about the destination. Well, today, I'm trying to blend and marry the two. Our destination is sweeter and sweeter fellowship with God Most High and His people, and if we lose sight of that, there ain't no chance I'm going to keep you in the van. We're not, we're not going to want to sit in the vehicle if we don't know what the vehicle was for. Every one of us comes in here with a, a perspective on small groups, with a perspective on personal discipleship. It should look like this. It should look like that. Well, my last church looked like this. this is, I want to get into why we practice small groups the way we do and the design behind them in order to help you fulfill the design God made you for. So turn with me to Romans chapter 12. As you're turning there, I believe there are three general groups of people represented in this room. First group of people, you are here, you're not in a small group. For whatever reason, maybe there's a work conflict or you travel a lot. Uh, You just don't see how uh, scheduling in a small group is going to fit with your schedule because of work-related responsibilities, okay? Or maybe you're here and you've got kids and they're in sports all over the place and you're you're not sure how to make it work either. Maybe you've been in small groups in the past and you've gotten burned in a relationship and there is no way you want to go back and experience that again. For whatever reason, 
You're, you're choosing to sit this one out. Okay, that's group number one. Group number two, uh, you're in a small group. You're on the roster. But you might show up, you might not. And when you show up, you might have read the, the material. You may not have. You might talk, you might not. You're, you're somewhat plugged in, but you're not fully engaged. Okay, well, I want to speak to you as well t- today. And then group number three, uh, you're, you're not only in your small group, you're owning your group. You're hosting uh, the small group. You're coordinating the child care. Uh, if there's a, an opportunity for mutual ministry, uh, you want to be in a part of that. You're not just looking to the small group leaders to do all that care and ministry. You want to be in on that as well. By the way, 12th man honors to those of you who fill those, those roles. Because as small group leaders, you help encourage and strengthen our efforts as small group leaders. So thank you. Thank you. As a director of small groups, thank you for doing that for our small group leaders and for your groups. You're owning the group. I think those are the three general groupings of people that I want to speak to today and I want to exhort you and I want to encourage you and I want to prod us on toward further engagement and involvement in relationship with one another. So let's look at Romans chapter 12 and see how uh, Paul would encourage us in this. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service in serving. If teaching in teaching. If exhorting in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. When Paul takes 11 chapters uh, to set up chapter 12. And he's, he's taken te- 11 chapters to explain this glorious gospel that we, uh, that we recognize. And he's, he's set up this amazing testimony to uh, this work of grace that didn't come to us through lineage, doesn't come to us through heritage, doesn't come to us through any work of our own. It simply comes to us through grace. He takes 11 chapters to communicate this. And in chapter 12, he moves from argument to application. He says, in light of this amazing gospel that you now recognize, live differently. Live differently. And he even coins a term, a living sacrifice. That would have been a new term to this generation. There would have been no context for that for them. But he says, live as living sacrifices before the Lord. How are you going to do that? Don't no longer be conformed to the likeness of this age, but rather be transformed, how? In the renewing of your mind. When Paul's writing this, he's he's recognizing something in that generation, in that that church at Rome. And he's saying, uh, uh, I'm recognizing something about you. There's a masquerade going on. According to John MacArthur's study notes, the language Paul uses suggests Paul's already recognizing Uh, there's something wrong in their application of the gospel. And so he's calling them to this rich, vibrant reflection of the gospel and he's calling that a living living sacrifice. Well, in order to be that living sacrifice, we've got to have our minds transformed. We We don't think the way we should think apart from Christ. 
And so now that we're in Christ, we should think differently. And as we think differently, we'll reflect what Paul said was a renewed mind. So he's making this point, and he says, my first point for us this morning is we're called to be living sacrifices that are being transformed from the inside out. There are two things that I see reflected in this passage that will, that will kill the work of transformation in your life. And you need to be on alert for two things. Gospel drift and an overinflated view of self. Gospel drift and an overinflated view of self. This, this concept that, yes, I'm a new creature, but I'm starting to slip back and drift back into old ways of thinking, old ways of acting, and no longer am I, am I this renewed person. I'm not living consistently like the renewed person I should be in Christ. And then an overinflated view of self. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. And there's no doubt in my mind that he's connected two verses on personal sanctification within the corporate identity that we have with one another as the body of Christ. Because, and the reason that I've spent so much time on personal sanctification this morning is because you and I both need people in our lives to help us see the blind spots in our transformation. If you're going to be the renewed, transformed, living sacrifice God's called you to be, you're going to need brothers and sisters in your life. You may not think you do, but Paul says, look out, you're probably thinking of yourself more highly than you need to. Okay, so here's his application. We want to take away as much of it as we can. We want to begin reflecting more and more of a a renewed mind. And how will we know if we're reflecting a renewed mind? Well, he says at the end of verse, I believe it's 2, he says, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I've always been blown by that verse. Like, how do I know the perfect will of God? All he's saying, let me boil this down for you. All he's saying is that when you come to a certain situation where you're going to have to make a decision, uh, we use the Y diagram in counseling a lot, and, and you've got two choices. You can, you can please God in that decision or you can please self. The more sanctified, the more transformed we are, the more we look like Christ, think like Christ, act like Christ, the more consistently we, we will make decisions that are going to please God. If we begin to conform ourselves to the likeness of the age uh, that we live in, we'll, we'll continue to see a consistency in making decisions that just please self and look like the world around us. And Paul's saying, be alert to this. Be on guard for this. Watch out for this. And oh, by the way, get into the body so that they can help you. Okay? Do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to in verse 3. Instead, think sensibly. Verse uh, 4, he goes on to talk about the many parts in the body of Christ. That every part plays a role, has a function. We need to be together uh, if we're going to experience the transformation that, uh, that God has for us. Which is my, why my second point says we belong to each other. We need to think of ourselves not as a, not as a separated entity but as a part of the body of Christ. We belong to each other, beloved. We need to stop thinking of ourselves alone because we were never meant to be on our own. And all too often, if we think more highly of ourselves than we should, we're very content with just me and Jesus. But we've never been called to a me and Jesus philosophy, a me and Jesus theology. Another way to say this is, your business is my business. And my business is your business. In fact, you are my business and I am your business. That's what Paul is saying there. And that rubs against the American mindset, does it not? That rubs against my pride. No, thank you. I'm very fine on my own. I don't need you. But I do. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Uh, if I'm not careful, I'll have, I'll have blind spots that take me down. 
gospel drift and an overinflated view of self. And Paul says, you need the body of Christ, you need to be in the body of Christ. And so, uh, you know, this isn't just an American issue. I've been to Japan, I've been to the Czech, I've, I've been able to talk about small groups and, and personal discipleship in both contexts, and I, I get pushed back in every culture I'm in, uh, that hey, you, uh, intentional intrusivity, or being in, uh, intrusive in one another's lives, in fact in the Czech, as things were being translated, uh, the, the, all of a sudden things had to stop because there was this conversation going on between the group and the translator, and the translator's trying to, trying to help them figure this out, and he finally stops, he said, could we just use a different word? Because this idea of being intrusive is just rude here. It's not translating well. Could we just use another word? I said, no. No, we can't. Because as the body of Christ, that's what we've been called to do. Because as soon as I, as soon as I get myself compartmentalized in my own little world, and I don't allow you in or, or you do the same, all of a sudden we miss our blind spots. And as soon as we miss our blind spots, the enemy has us exactly where he wants us, and we're about to be taken down. We have got to be on alert. We need each other, beloved. It's not a matter of want. It's a matter of need. So how does this get fleshed out? I was in the very first small group uh, when Deb and I came here back in 2007. And this is just an example of, of what it looks like, uh, what a transformed uh, mind and heart looks like uh, and one who is on alert for gospel drift in their lives. Uh, we had a great conversation over the word, enjoyed uh, the, the camaraderie uh, that we were experiencing in the, in, in the application. And we separated as guys and girls for prayer time. And remember the guys went out on the back patio and, uh, and this young guy, he didn't, he didn't wait for us to all even get settled. He just started saying, guys, I have, I have been wrestling with this. I'm, I'm here to confess some ongoing life-dominating sin in my life. I need your help. I need you to pray for me. And I've recognized it's, it's not blessing my family. It's, not, uh, uh, it's, it's sin against God. Would you guys take time and just pray for me tonight? I've been in small groups in other churches. I had never experienced that before. And I thought, whoa, what is this? This is different, okay? For a guy to be so vulnerable with the men around him, what is going on in his heart? Well, the, what's going, I'll tell you what's going on. He's recognizing, uh, I, I'm not glorifying God the way I need to glorify God. And I need help of those around me. Because if I'm left to myself, this is going to take me down. It's going, to, it's going to ruin my marriage, and it's ruining my testimony, my witness before the Lord and before others. That is, to me, an example of what a transformed heart and mind look like. Not only are we willing to recognize in ourselves, we're willing to tell other people about it. Yes, graciously, or yes, in confidentiality. Uh, we're not just going to you know, throw it up for all to see. But in this context, if you don't have a small group context like that, you're not going to have brothers or sisters in Christ who are going to be able to walk with you through that. You, and we need that. We need that in our lives. So, uh, the, we want to be careful which identity is informing which. Okay? We have a Christian identity and we have a cultural identity. And... Uh, we need to be careful that our cultural identity is not informing our Christian identity. That what our culture may say is appropriate, uh, we don't abide by those, those rules any longer. We've got, we've got a book that tells us exactly how we're to interact with one another. So the high points that I want us to take away from this passage are this. We've been called to be living sacrifices. Living sacrifices that think differently. Living sacrifices that act differently, pursue differently, are motivated differently. Everything in our life should look different. How do I know I'm being transformed? 
How do I know I'm living renewed? Well, when people around me who knew me before Christ get around me again after I've come to Christ or after I've been in Christ, they realize something's different. I'm not the same guy I used to be. That's this idea of living transformed. And we all are called to reflect that. We've got to be on alert for gospel drift. We've got to be on alert uh, for an overinflated view of self. And then secondly, we belong to each other. And that includes everyone among us. Notice Paul says uh, in verse 3, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. I tell everyone among you that if we're not careful, we'll allow this idea of, of yeah, I'm a part of the universal church. Uh, I'm not, I don't necessarily have to be connected to the, to the, uh, uh, the local church. We've, we've got this, this challenge in our culture. We need to be very careful about because that's not who Paul's talking to. Paul isn't discussing the, the universal church. He's talking about a local church. He's talking to the church at Rome. He says, I tell everyone among you. We've got to make sure that that's the identity, the corporate identity that, we're, that is in our minds as well. And then uh, later on in verses 6 through 8, he talks about the different gifts. This is not a total and complete list. This is a, uh, an example, a sample list of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives for the, for the care of his body. And I hope you understand If you have the Spirit of God living in you, you have a a gifting of the Holy Spirit meant not for your personal encouragement, but for everyone around you. And so as we get into this context of small group, you have a greater opportunity for for functioning in that gift, for helping those uh, that that are in that small group alongside of you to to encourage, to build up, to edify, to strengthen uh, them in their walk with the Lord. And so we have to be uh, aware about this. We, We need to be Uh, functioning in the gifting God's given us. If not, the body will not be the mature body we've been called to be. So let me switch gears and let me talk a little bit more specifically about small groups. Again, small groups are the best vehicle we know for our transformation and design. Are they perfect? (laughs) No. Why? Well, because they're filled with sinners. Just like you. Just like me. Uh, So as long as there's sin involved as long as there are sinners involved we're probably going to get some rubbing going on but guess what that's exactly what the lord's going to use in your life for your sanctification so don't don't resist it don't distance yourself from it but continue to apply yourself to it continue to walk with the folks around you Uh, a couple of questions that come up uh, when it comes to our small groups ministry one are they commanded Am I, am I living in disobedience if I don't go to one of your small groups? Well, that's not where our elders have landed. Uh, they, they have said, looking at Hebrews 10, we are called not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we believe that is what we're doing right now. This is an, a, a, a point of obedience for us and a command for us to come together, to sit under the preached word of God and to be uh, exhorted. And then we're supposed to walk out of here, not just being hearers only, but doers. Amen? Okay, so then as we uh, think about small groups, no, we would not suggest that they're commanded. No, we, would suggest, we wouldn't suggest you're living disobediently by not being in one of our small groups. But we would say that our elders have thoughtfully, prayerfully considered what's the best way that we as a body can grow uh, together and grow to be a mature, edified, built-up body of Christ. And they would say, this is the, this is the vehicle. This is the best vehicle we know. And so they, we don't believe it's commanded, but we would suggest to you it's commended to you. Our elders would say, highly recommended 
get into one of our small groups for your sanctification and the betterment of the body. Okay, so you're not in disobedience for not being in one, but I hope you see the wisdom in applying yourself to this vehicle uh, for engaging in what God's doing here. Uh, Secondly, the second question that comes up is, well, I'm in a small group. I'm just not in a grace small group. Well, first of all, hear me saying thank you for applying yourself to encouraging one another, to edifying one another. Uh, I wouldn't suggest you stop being a part of that group. I am going to encourage you, though, not to prioritize that group. Because uh, the, the elders of our congregation have a particular role in the life of every person that calls Grace Fellowship Church home. They have the role of oversight and overseeing every person's uh, sanctification here. They want to nurture, they want to care for, they want to make sure you're growing and changing to the glory of God. And our small groups ministry is, a, is in direct correlation to their ministry to the body. Okay? So if you're not in a grace small group, our elders are not going to be able to fulfill the function they have in caring for you. 1 Peter 5, uh, Peter talks to, is talking to a, a group of elders and he exhorts them to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's their role as elders. Shepherd and oversee the flock. And so as, as you're in a, a grace small group, our small group leaders have a direct line of communication with our elders. So if something's going on in your life that the elders need to be made aware of, this is, this is the line of communication God's given us to make sure every person in this congregation can be well cared for. Listen, there's 1,600 of us. There's no way nine men are going to oversee, shepherd, and care for every person in this flock. How do they do that? They build in small group leaders. Okay? And so we're kind of those hands and feet as small group leaders to help, help us as a congregation continue to apply the word the elders have said we need to hear and we need to walk in. Okay? Uh, so those are two, those are two questions uh, that can come up that I wanted to make sure and address. Uh, but when, uh, we want to we be careful, beloved, because even if you're in a group that's outside Grace Small Group, you, you say, Grace Fellowship Small Group, you say, hey, I'm in a group, I'm getting this, this edification, I'm able to use my gifts the way you've called, uh, the, you suggested Paul is calling us to. Uh, we're not always going to be growing in the same way if we're not careful. And so as, as every one of us applies in priority to getting into a Grace Small Group, uh, we have the greater potential of walking in unity one another. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, that's exactly what Paul says. In, in verse 3 of Ephesians 4, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Well, how are you going to do that with such a large group? Well, if we'll continue to, to prioritize being in, in small groups together, and as we're hearing the word and applying the word, we have the same emphasis of life transformation together, we continue changing and growing. By God's grace, we can see him continuing to grow us in the same direction and be unified together. That's very important, not just to Paul, not just to the apostolic writers. We see that from our Lord, and we'll, we'll look at that here in just a minute. But when 12 to 14 people come together to help each other change and grow, uh, this is going to have an incredible effect on your lives. Because we've not been called to be a, a congregation of hearers, have we? We've been called to be a congregation of doers. And I have, I have no problem here, sitting here and hearing the word of God. That is, uh, I've been raised in the church. Uh, I can sit here and I can listen to sermons all day long. But boy, there are some challenges in my life at times to actually applying the word I'm hearing. And I don't always do that. And I certainly don't do it as naturally as I do listen, uh, listening to the word. So there are, let me give you three reasons 
to focus on the vehicle of small groups and why we want you in one. I want to go back to my first point, design. This is what you were designed for, is fellowship with God and with his people. Please don't forget that. Don't walk out of here and just, just hear me talking about small groups. Hear me trying to give you the bigger picture as well. You were meant for sweet fellowship with the Lord and with his body, with his people. And that's tough to get on a Sunday morning, by the way. If you're here, and this is the only context you're around other believers, you're going to have a hard time growing and changing to the glory of God. You're going to have a hard time using your gifts to encourage people around you because the, the, the best conversation we, we normally get on a Sunday morning is a high and by. That's about it. We may hear about the kids. We may hear about a, an event. But if there's something you're wrestling with, good luck sharing that with somebody on a Sunday morning. It's, it's not going to happen. We've been called to do that, but we need a different context. And so again, that's why we employ small groups. Secondly, care. We need each other. We don't just want, we need each other. Uh, Brad's given us the uh, word picture of the strong oak of righteousness, right? You guys have heard that. We do need that taproot going deep down into the word as we get nutrients and and as we get encouragement and, and strengthening from being with God through his word and prayer. Uh, But we also, I think, need to be like uh, Redwoods. Uh, When I was out in Northern California, Deb and I spent a day uh, in some vacation time out at Yosemite National Park. I'm from the Northwest. I love big mountains. I love big trees. I love big forests. But there was nothing that could have prepared me for what I saw in those Redwoods. Man, some of those things were three to four hundred feet high. That's like a football field high. And I was just amazed at God's creation. I was amazed by these trees. But, so I did a little research when I get, got back. And what I, what I found in my, in my research was that most, of, most often, redwoods they won't have a root system that goes any deeper than five to six feet. At, at first I thought, that, that's got to be a typo. Five to six feet on a tree that's going to stand three to four hundred feet high, that, that'll go over in a minute. Uh, but no, what they, they said what they lack in depth, they make up for in breadth. And they send their root systems out up to 100 feet away from the base. And not only that, then they begin to interconnect their root systems with the root systems of the trees around them. To the point of actually fusing their root systems together. That's the body of Christ, beloved. That's what you've been called to. You don't just need it. I don't care how deep your root system goes. Okay, you can be the the deepest believer in the body of Christ for all I care. But if you're not connected to other people, you're going to go down when the trials and the storms of life hit. And they're coming, right? We know that. We've been, we've been reminded by the preaching team, you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or getting ready for one. That's, those are the three options. You know, take your pick. But when they come, if you don't have other believers, other bro- brothers and sisters in your life, you're gonna go down. And we care for you. We don't ever wanna see any of us end poorly. Uh, uh, Pastor Ken is really good at telling the staff, his goal is to see each of us end well. We have that same goal for each and every one of us, that we would end well, end glorifying God, no, not going down when the storms of life hit. We have, we have to be careful as well when we think about the context of this conversation to not make this just all about us. Okay, so great, you sold me. I'm gonna get a small group, uh, but I'm just gonna look for the one that, that fits me best and, and hopefully it fits my needs and, and uh, is to my liking. Uh, beloved, be careful. Uh, yes, there is this, this sense of, of what you get 
from being around other brothers and sisters in Christ. But don't forget you've been called to give. You've been called to give out. You've been called to serve others. And so if you're not in a group, I don't know how you're going to utilize the gifts God's given you in obedience and, and in encouraging other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a great way to do that. So if you're wondering, here's the hope. If you're wondering if there's a place for you, let me, let me put that to rest. There absolutely is a place for you in the circle. We, we not only want you with us, we need you with us, okay? Uh, two, getting into a small group will have a transforming effect on your life. If you're still not sold on that, trust me. We get, we get messages from people over and over and over again. Some of them coming back saying, I pushed back against small groups ministry for years. I was not going to get into a small group. No, thank you. I didn't need it. I didn't want to make time for it. It was useless. I finally did it. Guess what? It's, it's doing exactly what you said it would, and I'm kicking myself for not getting in earlier. So that, that's, that's not every one of us, but that does happen, that, and that is what we experience. I don't always feel like, I don't know about you guys, I don't always feel like showing up for small group. But I, I, I wrestle against that flesh, that fleshly response, to, and I host it. I've got to show up, right? Uh, but I, I want, uh, but when, I, when we finish the night, I've never... I've never pushed back away from that time thinking, well, that was a waste. That, pfft, you know, why did I do that? Why did I prepare? Why did I do the song? What? Forget it. Next week, I'm not doing anything. I've never done that. I've always finished the night thinking, God, such grace. I didn't need to rest. I didn't need to be on my couch tonight. I didn't need to turn my TV on. I needed to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what I needed. And he, he helps us, doesn't he? He helps us. That's his grace. So we attempt, by God's grace, to live as intentionally as possible, folks. We have a goal for every single person here. And that goal, we believe, is biblical, is life transformation. We just read about it. Be transformed. That's our goal for each and every one of us. But then we also have a corporate goal, okay? And we believe that as each and every part of the body of Christ grows and changes to the glory of God and continues to encourage and build up and edify one another, there's going to have a a unifying effect on our body. And so that's why it's so important. If you're not in our our Grace Small Group uh, network, uh, you're going to have a more difficult time growing and changing with us and experiencing that unity that God's called us to. And we're going to have a tough time not being as unified because we don't have your gifts being employed to the body helping us to to mature into the head, which is Christ. Let me look at John 17 with you because the idea of unity, the the idea of, of being one together wasn't just big for the apostles. It wasn't just Paul's idea. This is what Jesus, our Lord, prayed for. Beginning in verse 20, he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. So not just this first generation of believers, but every successive generation thereafter. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them 
and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Beloved, that's what we're working toward. That's what we're hoping to see in our midst. You weren't just designed for small groups, but we don't know a better way of getting you to fulfill the design you were made for, and that is fellowship. That is unity, okay? And so let us do our best to make every effort, as, as Paul said in Ephesians 4, to keep that unity through the spirit of peace. Let us continue to connect. Let us see our roots joined together, so much so that they are, that we are linked, that we're holding each other up. Let me pray for us. Because Lord, if we're gonna experience this kind of oneness, if we're gonna experience the unity you've called us to, Lord, we need you. We need your spirit moving in our midst. We need you laying this idea of, of focus and, and intentional uh, living on our hearts. Would you help us, Lord, to apply this word to our lives? Would you help us to grow in this respect, Lord, that we would focus, uh, every one of us would focus on life transformation as the goal for our lives so that we could please you, so that we could be a, a witness to those around us, so that we could walk together in greater unity, so that we could grow up into the head, which is Christ, that we could be a fitting body for our Lord and Savior. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.